You're listening to Beyond the Ordinary, a show about the companies, founders, and ideas that are shaping the future of health, science, and financial technology. Here's your host, Tommy Martin. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Beyond the Ordinary. We're so glad you're here with us today. And I have a special guest. Her name is Stacy Hollifield, and she is the founder of Levitate. They're a creative and communications agency that she started eight years ago after spending lots of time in the PR world working with healthcare companies. Obviously, Levitate goes far beyond PR. They help healthcare companies better understand who they are, what they do, and why anyone should care. Today, you're going to hear about a creative and communications agency that actually delivers incredible results in the healthcare space. I'm so glad to know Stacy from the work that we do with healthcare companies at Mammoth and so glad to see her work throughout the industry because they do just an absolutely tremendous job. And you're going to hear about that today. Stacy, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Tommy. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. And, you know, Stacy, we always say our listeners love hearing people's stories. So we definitely want to hear about Levitate and all the things you all are doing, especially in this healthcare space. I have to venture to guess you didn't grow up thinking, <laughs> oh, someday I'm going to be a healthcare PR and marketing powerhouse. And yet here you are today. Tell us how you got there. Yeah. So, I actually grew up wanting to be Joan London, which dates me a little bit. And there's uh, a lot of people now that don't know who she is. But Joan London at the time was the morning anchor on Good Morning America. And so I grew up in a house where Good Morning America was often playing. And I saw Joan London and I thought that is exactly what I want to do. So that was the dream that I kind of followed as a kid. I went through high school and um, was fortunate to have exposure to broadcast journalism opportunities and things like that. I even did a copycat Joan London haircut through high school, which (laughs) didn't exactly make me the most popular kid, but it was on the path of kind of following my dream. So that was my early... You knew what you wanted. (laughs) I knew what I wanted. Yeah. And I was pretty committed to getting it at the time. So at some point in high school, I found out about this... Growing up in you know Fort Wayne, Indiana... I knew a lot of people that didn't leave, didn't leave the state to go to college. And somehow, somewhere along the way, I heard about this small college out in Boston, Emerson College. And it's a four-year communications-focused program. And I got it in my head that I am going there. Like, there's no doubt about it. I'm going to the school. So I was uber confident perhaps a little bit too much. I thought I've been doing all these great programs. And for the area, I was doing a lot. So when I went to apply for college, you know, everyone has their essay that they write. For some reason, I decided I would do a picture collage for my essay. And I thought this is so creative and cool and all that. So I did this picture collage. Well, I was later heartbroken because I did not get accepted into Emerson College, the college of my dreams. And so I, you know, tried to kind of course correct on what am I going to do? How am I going to chase this dream? How in the world am I going to become Joan London without this amazing college experience? And I settled into the idea that I was going to stay in state and go to college here and make the best of it. And then in July, before, you know, you'd normally head off to college in August, I 
got accepted. I had been on a wait list program and I got accepted into Emerson. So at first I was like, I'm not doing that. No way. They didn't want me in the first place. I'm not taking this. And I kind of had to, you know, readjust and decide, wait, this is a good opportunity. Maybe I didn't put my best foot forward. And so I'm going to take it and move out to Boston and go to Emerson. So did you ever actually find out if it was the picture collage for your essay that was (laughs) the, you know, the red flag? I don't know for sure. I don't know. I don't think it helped. (laughs) No one ever came back and said, yeah, Stacey, it was the picture collage. It was the picture collage. No, we did not. But I don't advise it. I don't advise it. (laughs) And Stacey, anytime somebody mentions Boston, and this is just because I'm weird and my head always goes to food, no matter what Mm -hmm. city Mm -hmm. you're talking about, my favorite burger place in the world is in Boston. It's Mr. Bartley's Burgers in Cambridge. Oh, I and, do know. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Uh, my <laughs> only thing, listeners, I have to tell you, if you haven't been to Mr. Bartley's, make sure you go. But remember to bring cash because at least as of four years ago, when I flew out to Boston just to eat at Mr. Bartley's Burgers, which you can judge me if you want about that. I understand that. And I found out they only take cash and I don't know my ATM pin. So like, I'm one of those people, if you kidnap me and take me to an ATM and force me to withdraw my money, I would not know how to do it. And so I actually had to go find a friend in Boston, get some cash so I could go back to Mr. Bartley's burgers, but it is worth it. It is worth it, but make sure you bring cash. And there's your food tip for the week, everybody. So Stacey, you're out there and you get in, you're in this just absolutely incredible communications program. I mean, Emerson is so well-respected. And if you want to be the next Robin Roberts or Pete Hegseth or Savannah Guthrie, I mean, this is like a great place to go. So you're clearly on track pursuing your dream. Yeah. Yeah. And I was pursuing it probably with a bit of a chip on my shoulder because I came in there with something to prove. And I wanted to prove to them that they made a mistake when they didn't let me in in the first place. So I worked really hard when I was there. I decided to accelerate my school plan and finish in three years instead of four. And so I worked through the summers. And when I got to what would be my last year there, they had this incredible program where you could go out to Los Angeles. We had a campus out there. So you could go out to Los Angeles and get an internship. And I was able to land an internship at Entertainment Tonight. And I thought, this is, you know, this is it. Like, I'm going to go to L.A., entertainment reporting, all of this amazingness. And so I go out there and spend a semester working at Entertainment Tonight. And when I got out there, I got put into the media relations department, which is really PR. And so it was the first time that I'd really been exposed to kind of the behind the scenes workings of how news is generated, right? As a consumer, we see news and, you know, there's always the, if it bleeds, it leads, which is true, right? Fires, accidents, things like that. That's kind of naturally occurring news. Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) I've never actually heard this. You talk about it like this is common knowledge, maybe in the news world. And it makes sense to me because I feel like they always want to show the most negative thing possible. And you're saying that's a real thing. That's a real thing. Yeah. If it bleeds, it leads. So 
Yeah, that's why always the negative news is first. It's, I mean, it's what draws people in, unfortunately. It's also why I prefer not to watch the news these days. But yeah, so that was the kind of world that I knew. And then when I went out there and started working in media relations, I saw how all these other stories that come out on the news happen. I had grown up thinking reporters, they just know everything, right? They know about these companies and these products and everything going on. They don't. And so, you know, I found from working in entertainment PR, it was in the Jennifer Aniston, Brad Pitt days. And someone would go out and interview Jennifer Aniston and they would come back and transcribe it. And I would get to pick out quotes and call reporters and say, I'll give you this quote from this interview with Jennifer Aniston. You can't run it till Friday. And then we're going to air our story. And so it was the first time that I had a taste of what it's like to be on the other side, to be in the PR element where you're pushing out a story and connecting with reporters and trying to get them to run that quote, story, whatever it might be. And I loved it. And not to belittle anyone that's on the news, but it felt more empowering, right? Like you can pick and choose what goes out there. How do you do that? There was a little bit of kind of that control that I thought was a lot of fun. And so I finished up my internship there. So sorry to interrupt. Let me make sure I understand. I think what I just heard is you kind of realized that Joan London or whoever it is, Savannah Guthrie, is actually scripted by someone who has the real power of what's happening in the news and in the media. And you realized you actually liked that side of it more than you thought you would. Is that accurate? That is exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. It was the first realization of exactly that. So being able to have a taste of pushing out the story. And I mean, I don't want to take away from what producers do, right? They're doing the actual writing the script, but influencing what's out there was what I really enjoyed doing. So I came back to Emerson for my last semester, was able to finagle classes and pick up a PR minor. I actually graduated with a major in television production and a minor in public relations. And so I went out there then into this world that was new to me. I didn't really know that much about it, but it was Boston and there were lots of agencies. So I got my first agency job working in the dot-com bubble, which was a unique time in and of itself, working for an agency that was started by this really incredible husband and wife team. And, you know, we worked so hard at this agency, but we had no idea that we were working so hard because we loved what we were doing. We were just, you know, it was a bunch of kids, basically, you know, all coming out of college, working really hard, trying to advance our careers, And we were having so much fun doing it at the first year of my career was mostly in tech PR. And I mean, things were changing so fast. And to be a part of that innovation was incredible. But also to witness, you know, you see company after company, people worked really hard and they still failed. And so it was also a very humbling experience to watch people pursue their dream, invest time, invest money and have things fall apart for various reasons. We would have clients that, you know, you'd go for your weekly call and they literally were just gone. The doors had shut down. It was a lot of life learning 
you know, I graduated college when I was 20. So I was kind of thrown out into the world, gathering a lot of life skills while and still growing up while getting this incredible business experience as well. So I watched this amazing husband and wife team build this company. And then I did what a lot of young people do. I bounced around. It was so good and so fun that I thought I must leave because there must be better somewhere else. So, you know, I did some bouncing around in the agency world and then came back to the agency that I started my career at with a focus all on healthcare PR and loved what I was doing. When you're working in the med tech space, again, you're being exposed to constant innovation. You're being exposed to patients and families whose lives are changing. They're improved because of the technology that your clients have. And so it was just so inspiring. But I also found that, you know, people get kind of into this process of doing things. And we were in the agency business of making money. And so we took a lot of companies' monies and we did great work for them, but we didn't necessarily do work that was meaningful or impactful. And so I started to kind of pull away just in the sense of, I knew I wanted to do more. I wanted to create more opportunities. I wanted to find all of that. So I went back to school, got my MBA, went to UMass Boston, had incredible career opportunities, spent some time in London, did a you know big MBA program trip into India. So had great exposure. And then I thought, this is it. I'm going to leave the agency. I'm going to start my own company. And a couple of days after my last class in my MBA program, I found out that I was the greatest surprise of my life. I was pregnant. And so super unexpected. Not the plan that I had in place, but of course, an amazing, wonderful blessing and surprise. So that changed where things went. I settled back into agency world and tried to figure out how to balance. I was a solo parent. I've always been a single mother. And so trying to balance, you know, life as a single mom with an infant, a career, and then these big dreams that I had that I wasn't ready to give up on. So it took a few years after that before I could get into a position where I decided that it was time. It was time to dream big and do bigger, which is what our motto is at Levitate. But, you know, when I left... A lot of people thought that I was really crazy, right? When you look at women entrepreneurs and founders and businesses, the numbers are significantly lower than men. If you look for companies that were started by single parents, solo mothers, there's not a lot of them. It's a really hard, hard road. And I had a really good gig at the time. I was working remote. I only worked four days a week. Like I had a a good thing going. But if you're not doing what you love, if you're not getting joy out of what you're doing every day, it doesn't matter how much money you're getting paid. It doesn't matter, you know, what the results are. It's draining. And so, you know, I had to take that leap and get out there and go for it, even though, It was incredibly scary. It was the scariest thing I've ever done was to leave the agency world and start my own company as Levitate. So, you know, people do that when you leave and you start your own thing. I always say there's there's two ways that people do it. One, you have this incredible backup plan, right? I'm going to try this. And if this doesn't work, like I'll do this. Or you just like jump off the cliff. You know, you have no backup plan. And that was where I was. 
I've always called it burning the ships. You know, yes. like we are here. <laughs> There's no turning back. Yeah. Right. And it sounds like you did that. And, you know, listeners, I, you know, I grew up largely in a single parent household with my mother and just saw how hard she worked mm-hmm. as a teacher. And, you know, part of that was coming home and your job's never really done because you still have things to grade and parents to take care of. And, but I know firsthand the business owner side of it, it's the same thing, only compounded because the job is never done. You go to sleep every single night and there's still 500 more things that didn't get done today. And so you're never away from it. And then, you know, one of the challenges we still have And I don't mean this from a political standpoint, but we are not good in America at having a path for healthcare for small business owners. I spent the first 10 years as a business owner, our healthcare expense as a family of five was over $2,000 a month. And so when we already have this entrepreneurial void, and I've talked about that with other guests, if you want to hear about that more, listen to the episode with Barack Yenagoon, where we talk about this scarcity of entrepreneurs. Well, one of those reasons is we don't have a great support structure for someone like Stacy or someone like me to walk out and start a business and be able to even have good health care for our family. It's very, very difficult. Compounding everything else that goes into launching a business. That's just one of the fundamental things in America that does create some scarcity of entrepreneurs. It's understandable. But Stacy, you yeah. you said even though all those barriers exist and should be stopping you, you just had so much passion for what you wanted to be doing that you said, I'm going to take all that risk. I'm going to burn those ships. I'm going to jump off the cliff. I'm going to deal with all these healthcare challenges and things you don't even think about when you're first starting the company. Right. And you just jumped in head first. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was, like I said, incredibly scary, but to do it, the upside, when you have no fallback plan, you work your butt off to make sure you succeed, right? (laughs) Because there is no other option. People, I say, well, what if you were going to fail? I wasn't going to fail. Failure was not an option, right? It wasn't going to be, here's where I started and here's what I ended. And there's this straight line between those two points. I knew it was going to be all over the place, but I was going to start here and I was going to get to that finish point one way or another. So, you know, people always say, oh, should I, should I leave? Should I start my own? I don't know. You know, you have to have the intense drive and determination and be willing to quote unquote fail on a regular basis, right? Because every day is not a win. Every day is not a success. There are intense challenges. There are financial challenges and time challenges and all of the mental health challenges. I think that's one of the things that doesn't get enough attention when you look at CEOs, when you look at founders, when you look at entrepreneurs, Part of what is expected of you is to constantly be out there saying everything is fine. And so you have to go out there and say everything is fine, even when you're panicking because you don't know how you're going to make payroll or someone's leaving and you don't have the staff or all these things are going on. But, you know, you have to be calm to everyone else. And that's a lot to carry for leaders. And so I think there's so many struggles. But when you love it, 
you love it, you know? You're willing to go through it. Yeah. And I always say that, Stacey, you know, it's like, would I do it again knowing what I was going to go through to get to this point? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) But am I sure glad I did it? Oh, 100%. Even though there was these moments of severe depression along the way that I'm able to talk very openly about now, because as you said, we don't talk about that enough. And people only see the you know, the huge success stories of the Bill Gateses and Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerbergs, but they don't see those downsides along the way because part of your job, at least in the current demographic, is you're supposed to show up and never let them see you sweat. And all these things you learn of what's required to go out and, you know, take a company from a little company to a big company. Um, You just never see behind the scenes how difficult it really can be. So I'm a huge fan of telling people today, entrepreneurship is not for everyone. Right, right. I had an employee, this was, you know, let's call it a decade ago just to protect the innocent here. But, you know, they were complaining because one week, you know, they had put in 46 hours (laughs) and my empathy bone just did not exist because there was over a decade where a hundred hour week would have been a light week as an entrepreneur. Yep. But I also recognize I never want any of my team members to have to go through what I went through to get here. So there's a, you know, there's a balance there of, I don't have the empathy that sometimes I wish I had And yet Mm -hmm. I also do have this empathy of, I don't want anybody to have to go through what, what we went through to get here. Yeah, exactly. I think empathy is so important. I'll, you know, be upfront and say that it was a huge struggle for me when I was in the early years of starting the company, because I was like you, someone would say, oh, I had to work 42 hours last week. And I'm like, 42 hours, that's a vacation week, you know? That's a gift. Yeah, yeah. And so it took, you know, the first few years of the company were really, really hard. And a lot of the hardness came from a lack of empathy from me and just the chaos of trying to start and run a business. I always say when we were getting up and going, the first really great financially successful year that we had was the most miserable year of leading the company. And it forced a really hard reset on what does success look like? What kind of numbers are we trying to achieve? And you know, what does that matter? I think when I started the company, I thought about people. I want this number of people by a certain time. And that became my focus, which also led me to constantly feel like I was failing, right? Despite having a great team, despite having great clients, I wasn't meeting this one number that I had put on a pedestal for some reason. And so I lived in this loop of feeling like I was failing and that made it a miserable experience. So I really had to reset and look at what matters, not just for me, but for my team. I take great pride in never missing a baseball game for my son. That is incredibly important to me. And in his course of growing up, I've missed a few, but not very many. And I'm proud of that. I love that. I want the same for my employees too. And so realizing that, you know, things like that, that balance, that 
ability to be there for my family was my most important success metric as well. And so finding that helped kind of set a different tone for the company and for growth that's been really important and brought a lot of the joy back to what I do. At Levitate, you do such an incredible job of not only helping these healthcare companies communicate who they are and what they do and why anyone should care, but first, you actually help these companies better understand who they are, what they do, and why anyone should care so that they can go communicate it. And we both know there's a lot of companies out there that they're just not tight in that messaging. And that's the first thing you're able to help these companies do. And so let's talk more about Levitate. I'd love to hear specifically who you serve Mm -hmm. and the types of things and the types of problems you help them solve. Yeah, absolutely. So we work with companies in the healthcare space. Our primary focus is in med tech. So we do a lot of work with medical device clients, healthcare technology. We do some biotech work. We've worked over time with a broad range of companies from very established to much more emerging companies that are looking for their you know first round of VC funding. Maybe they've had family funding before, companies that may be more established in Europe and have a product available there, but it hasn't moved over to the States yet with FDA approval or clearance. So how do they bridge that you know, gap to move over here? We often work with companies that know what their exit strategy is, right? They know they want to be acquired or they want to go through an IPO. We often work with companies that have no idea what their exit strategy is. All goes back to figuring out though, who they are, what do they do, and why anyone should care. And that's, you know, that's what we talk about a lot with our clients, but that's the approach that we also take with our clients. We really want to dig in and get to know you. We can't do a good job of telling your story if I don't sit down and get to know the leadership team. People talk a lot about what they're good at. People shy away from talking about what their challenges are, and they usually know them. They just don't want to talk about them. So we do a lot of work to dig into all of that so that we can better message around it. So, you know, it's not uncommon to go and sit down at a leadership table. And if you have everyone write down what their company does, you get back a different answer from everyone. You know, that's a problem. That's a challenge. Those are the types of things we have to work through. One of the things that I love about it is that we, again, are working with these incredible innovators. Lots of times, when we're working with emerging med tech companies, we're working with entrepreneurs, we're working with founders, we're working with physicians that have become company founders. And so they're working through a lot of the same challenges too that I've worked through as an entrepreneur. And there's that sort of camaraderie that comes up in that space that's really great and really helpful for everyone. So we work on defining their story and then figuring out and getting to know their target audience. One of the things that's really important when you're communicating is knowing where your target audience is. It's not uncommon for people to push messages out and just hope that they reach people instead of looking at, okay, here's where my audience is. I'm going to get the message there. Twitter is a great example of that. Most consumers, most people have moved on from Twitter, right? It's not it's not the hottest social media channel. When you look at MedTech, There are a lot of physicians that are very active on Twitter. They're sharing case studies. They're asking for feedback. So in 
orthopedics, in cardiology and electrophysiology, there's these groups of physicians that are active. And so we have to find ways to tap into that knowledge, to follow those physicians, to understand what's going on in those communities so we can help integrate our clients into those conversations appropriately. So we look for where the audience is and we tell that story there. And we do a lot of other things, anything that's related to brand communication, helping a company rebrand if they're switching kind of, you know, the focus of the company. We do marketing collateral, we do trade show booth design, anything that speaks about what your company is or does is something that we touch on for our clients. And we really focus on not just doing things for the sake of doing things, right? People confuse results and success. And so it's easy to generate results. Results are just numbers. We can all achieve that. The key is to create results that equal success. And so we don't want to just create numbers. And sometimes we don't have the biggest numbers per se, right? But we are generating results that are impactful. So reaching that audience, creating engagement, usually generating you know, some warm sales lead type opportunities that can help support business goals, because that's what it all comes down to. Absolutely. I love it. Here so often somebody will say, oh, I have a million impressions on this. Okay. How many actual conversations did that million impressions lead to? Or how much did that build brand awareness for future conversations to happen from the next messaging? Yep. And a lot of times there's just not thought around that. And I like how your agency is just so success focused. I love that. And what a great reputation to have as well. And Stacy, before we segue into the last part of the show, I do want to ask if there's a simple case study that you could walk us through of somebody actually using your firm and how it led to success for them. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of great stories. I'll share an example of a client that's sort of top of mind because there's been a lot, a lot going on there recently. We work with a company called Cath Vision. They're in the med tech space in cardiology. You know, if you've ever been in for a cardiology procedure, they're going to put the stickers on your chest and monitor your heart rate. And one of the challenges with that is that the quality of the signal that's going into the box that you see when it spits it out on the screen, it's not good quality. So signal quality, there's a lot of noise in that. And so physicians are used to seeing it, but there is a better option available. And that's a lot of what happens in med tech. You have to change the status quo, right? And the status quo is good enough. And then you've got to teach people that there's something better. So this company, CathVision, they're based in Denmark and they knew they were on the path for FDA clearance here and they needed to establish their presence in the US. They're a smaller company, you know, emerging med tech. So they came over here and got in touch with us from a referral from a former client contact. And we worked with them for about a year in advance of their FDA clearance to build up their presence here. So we did that for them. Their target audience is electrophysiologists. So we really built up their LinkedIn presence. We know how to find EPs, to target them, to engage them, to build followers, not numbers of followers, but EP followers. And so we really spent time creating the message around that. How do we start to educate physicians on 
the problem before the solution. Because if we just come in and say, here's a new solution, nobody cares, right? And it's a very delicate process when you're working with anyone that's an expert in their field, right? I don't really want people to come in and tell me that what I'm doing could be done better. And that's what we have to do. So we have to find the right way to do it and to help educate physicians, patients, health systems, et cetera. So we've focused in this situation on building our target audience on LinkedIn, on Twitter, and then getting media coverage of you know trial data, progress, anything that we could within the confines of what's allowed with the FDA. And rightfully so, you can't just go out and talk about you know medical devices saving lives and things like that because the FDA won't allow that. We have to keep it in the context of what's real. So we did all of that. You know, now they're going to go full commercial. So we helped create marketing collateral, trade show booth design, all of the elements that they would need to really talk about the product and launch it here in the United States. So then we helped launch it here in the U.S. It started in a limited market release, and then it will go through to full commercial availability. And it's been incredibly successful. I mean, it's so rewarding to see something like that. You work with it for a year, you build that audience, you know, you announce the FDA clearance, and then you see the company making traction, you know, coming over and doing their evaluation sites, and there's interest, and you see people talking about it. So it's been incredibly rewarding working with them on that step, as well as knowing that truly better technology is making its way into EP labs that will change how physicians can diagnose cardiac arrhythmias, how AFib is treated, things like that, that change lives for patients. That's so exciting. At the very end of the success spectrum here, you're actually saving lives. I mean, yeah. and how exciting is that? You know, what a great way to see your motto of dream big and do bigger actually unfolding. And listeners, especially those of you founders in the med tech space, what I want you to hear that's so, so critical is that as this company launched, it wasn't just a one day big marketing blitz. That's not how this works. It's think of it like building a snowball. And if you've never lived somewhere where there's snow, you know, you may not understand that analogy of you're building momentum a little bit at a time as you roll this thing and then you roll it bigger and bigger and bigger. That's what Stacy's talking about. You're building momentum. And so they had a very strategic plan over a year in advance of how they were going to roll this thing out. And that's just not something a lot of startup teams are wired to be able to think about strategically. So you need to have a partner like Stacy or Levitate in your corner to make sure that you're not missing those opportunities to build momentum so that you actually have a successful product launch. A product launch does never happen in one day. It's a slow build of momentum and momentum builds on momentum. And those are things that Levitate and others can help you with. So Stacy, that's incredible. We are going to move into my favorite part of the show where I get to ask you two questions. The first is the question everyone wants to know. And what it really is, is the question I want to know. And actually today, I have two questions that I have to ask you. And then we'll move into the actual real question. So my first question is just completely unrelated to the healthcare side. And we'll come back to the healthcare side on my second question. But my first question is, let's go back to your internship at Entertainment Tonight. 
<laughs> you were pumping out what we were going to experience in these celebrity stories. What is your favorite one that you were kind of the wizard behind the curtain who was pumping out yeah. that we might remember? Oh, I remember that story. Mm-hmm. I want to know what you were behind. Yep. So this was like a foundational memory from that time period. I don't know if you remember this, but there was a time when Matthew McConaughey was found. I don't remember exactly what he got in trouble for, but he was found at his house, naked, playing the bongos. He talks about this in his autobiography (laughs) that came out a couple years ago, actually during COVID. It was one of my favorite reads during COVID. I actually listened (laughs) to his book, Green Lights, while I was building my niece a dollhouse in the wee hours of the mornings because I couldn't sleep at the beginning of COVID. And so he actually talks about this story if they want to hear more, but push us into it on how you got to be involved with it. It was breaking all around, right? It was one of those moments too that was like, okay, entertainment VR is not for me either because it was like the world was crashing around the idea that Matthew McConaughey could be out there at his house naked playing the bongos. So all of that came through and, you know, we worked on trying to get the story and things like that. And so I didn't have a true role in pushing that out, but that was one of the pinnacle experiences there. And also just saying like, I'm probably a little bit too cynical for the entertainment world because, you know, you know, life is bigger than than something like that. But it was a pretty foundational memory of being there. (laughs) So you got to be a part of this big story breaking, but also kind of realizing, eh, I want to do something more with my life, which, you know, certainly now bringing the future of healthcare to the world and being instrumental in that. uh, You've certainly gone to the complete opposite (laughs) end of the spectrum. So my second question really does relate back to the healthcare side. And it's just a curiosity. As you were talking about the FDA and what you could and could not do, it just made me think about this question I always have. And hopefully some of our listeners have the same question. But when we watch a healthcare advertisement on Hulu or wherever, they have to give this crazy disclosure of like, you know, you have a 1% chance of dying or losing your left arm. And if you don't lose your left arm, then you will probably never wake up again for the rest of your life. Yep. And these disclosures go on sometimes, I feel like, for a minute or more. Are those ads actually effective? It's a great question. So we would tell you advertising has a place for broad visibility, but not necessarily for engaging in decision-making. We don't do a lot of ads at a broad scale. We'll focus on a targeted audience. Like EP doctors. Like EPs, yeah. So, And some of that, when you look at things like that, you're really focusing typically on patients, right? And so the upside and challenge is that thankfully today, most patients still trust their physician. And so if you see something on TV, but you walk in and talk to your doctor, your cardiologist about what you saw, and your doctor says, that's not what's best for you, 
you're probably not going to go with it. Most patients aren't saying to their doctor, "Mm, no, thanks. I saw it during the Super Bowl. I'd like to try that drug instead. So it's tricky. You know, we live in a world too where authenticity is really critical, where people are more aware of the fact that ads are paid for by companies. Sometimes that's the real beauty of PR. PR is validated, right? PR is about getting someone else to talk about you in a beneficial way. And so when someone else is talking about you, there's more credibility that comes with that. And so that's really the core difference between advertising and PR and why PR can be more valuable in actually moving the needle in terms of influencing decision-making versus broad visibility. Totally makes sense. Thank you for clarifying that. I've always wondered that as I watch those things, like, why are they even (laughs) doing this? I get it. It's part of this bigger brand awareness, not so much. I'm going to call my doctor and say, Oh, I need this medication. But I think I heard you say, Stacy, it's more when my doctor says, Hey, you should probably take this medication. I just immediately am thinking, Oh, I've heard of that. Right. Right. Exactly. Makes sense. Make yep. total sense. Yep. So Stacy, now we move into the real question, which is I'm sure some of our listeners out there in the healthcare space, they're founders or leaders in healthcare companies. And whether they're a company like you talked about trying to bring their product from Europe to the United States, or they're a company that is just trying to do a better job of getting their messaging out to the right audience, or if they're one of these earlier startups that really wants to make sure they're strategic and plans ahead for that big product launch instead of thinking it's going to happen in one afternoon. What is the best way for someone in any of those situations to get in touch with you at Levitate? Yeah, absolutely. People can always contact me on email. It's Stacy S-T-A-C-E-Y, at levitatenow.com. I love to hear from folks. I love to have conversations, you know, and learn more about what companies are doing. You can also visit our website, levitatenow.com, where we've got all the information about what we do. And definitely check us out on LinkedIn. We share a lot of the work that we do for our clients. So you can see how do we generate those impactful, meaningful results. So we're just levitate on LinkedIn as well. Excellent. So listeners, we will put that in our show notes, whether you listen on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, you'll be able to get those links right in our show notes. And please reach out to Stacy and her team at Levitate. Uh, they do just absolutely incredible work. So Stacy, thank you so much for being here. And listeners, thank you for being here. We can't have the show without you. You're just absolutely incredible. We thank you so much for making the show such an incredible success. Thank you, Tommy. It's been such a pleasure. I enjoy the opportunity to connect with you and to talk more about what we're doing at Levitate and share the story. Well, thanks again, Stacy, And listeners, we'll see you right here next week on Beyond the Ordinary. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Ordinary. This podcast is brought to you by Mammoth and produced by Reverb. If you like this show, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Mammoth and Beyond the Ordinary, visit us at mammoth.vc.